Lord God, we come to you this morning grateful for this opportunity to walk through this series that we might be healthy families. And no matter what stage of life we may find ourselves in this day, I pray that this word would penetrate our hearts and that we might shine your light to one another and to this community. Take our minds now, think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to yours and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's kind of a hobby of mine to search the channels for that BBC channel where you get to watch Parliament in action in the British government. You know, C-SPAN can't hold a candle because we have procedures in America that when a congressman steps up, you can't interrupt them. But that's not the way it is in Great Britain. They can interrupt, they can bang. It's, it's quite entertaining. I encourage you to watch this. It's, just, it's so wonderful, a cultural experience. And in British Parliament, you can say anything, anything. It's insulting even, except attack the person. Okay? You can do that. It's within parliamentary procedure over there. But it is said after one ruckus meeting of the House of Parliament, Sir Winston Churchill and his adversary, Lady Astor, had really gone at it. It was brutal. But they didn't attack the person, but it was quite, quite a ruckus affair. And after they had done their session, they found themselves in the elevator together. Mortal enemies, really. It was bad. And the doors closed, boom, and their aides recorded this conversation. Lady Astor had had it with him. She said, Sir Winston, if I were your wife, I'd poison your tea. And he looks at her and says, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as funny and as entertaining a story that that may be, when it comes to husband and wife, that's not funny, right? We all get married on our wedding day, looking great, you know, the, 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 the husband is the, the groom is the, the knight in shining armor, and this absolute princess walks down the aisle, it doesn't take long for us to figure out that we're two sinners trying to figure out how to do life together, Right? And so we're going to look today, and the question that's before us is, can I have a marriage worth getting excited about? And the Bible says, yeah, you do. So I encourage you to open up with me to the book of Ephesians together. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm not married, or I'm widowed, or I'm single and I've chosen to be for my life, or whatever station of life you're in, or you're a young person, you say, I, this is long off from me. Uh, I want to encourage you, this is all worth taking notes on. Because 5, 10, 15 years from now, this is the type of stuff you're going to wish you had paid attention to. Okay? And by the way, verse 1, if you look in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, you'll notice that Paul says, therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's for every single one of us here. Every single one of us are called to be imitators of God as beloved children. 
while the subject matter that we're going to address is mostly for our married couples, um, it's for all of us, my friends, because you and I are not being asked to settle for a mediocre lifestyle as followers of Christ. In other words, we don't imitate God to become beloved children. We imitate God because we are beloved children. And so I want to encourage, especially our young people that are not married yet, drink this in. You know, in the words of the prayer book, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest these truths if you're not married yet. Because this is going to help you in your choices down the road. If you're single, widowed, you guys are the greatest encouragers that the married couples have. Because some of you had great marriages, some of you maybe not so much, but you've learned from that. And we're all gospel people here. So it speaks to each and every one of us as we walk together. Because we know throughout the scripture that God's purposes for marriages are that we mirror God's image. We mutually complete each other as husband and wife. And we're called to multiply a godly legacy. But it doesn't take long for the world, the flesh, and the devil himself to get into our lives as natural sinners to, to mess it up. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what, how are we supposed to do this? How can we go from good to great in our marriages? Because Paul, at the very end in verse 33, says love and respect. So think about this in terms of loving and respecting. Husbands, love your wives, wives. Respect your husbands. How is this fleshed out? Well, if you look at the whole chapter, Paul is framing this discussion of husband and wife as children relating to their parents, employees and relating to their employers throughout chapter 5, going into chapter 6. He frames this all in becoming children of the light. Verse 7 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, do not become partners with them. In other words, don't become partners with the world's ways. But rather, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. See, light, Paul is saying, has properties. There is light that is wonderfully heartwarming and gives warmth to people, illumines our path. We can see better through it. There's also a negative light. If all you ever do is shine a search beam on somebody, that gets rather painful. So therefore, we are to walk together, all of us, married, unmarried, as children of light, you know, bearing fruit together of all that is good and right and true. All right? So keep that in mind as we go forward here. And we heard read for us by Carol this morning the Bible's definition, and Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 in this passage. What is the definition of a marriage? There's a phrase that only the Bible uses. So with that in mind, we're to remind ourselves that in Christ, in marriage, we are one flesh. One woman, one man, in an exclusive relationship for a lifetime. For an all-encompassing union, what does that look like? How can we go from good to great? 
How does a wife imitate God to her husband? How does a husband imitate God to his wife? And as we do so, you've heard read by Bob, it imitates the love of God for his people. When you see this, it's the gospel in us. And when you see a man and a woman that are crazy in love, it's always heartwarming, right? It's the best way, ladies and gentlemen, for us to be missionaries, and we are all missionaries in this community. Each and every one of us. The priesthood of believers. That's who we are. Think of it this way. The greatest love song ever done was 1974, The Eagles, The Best of My Love. No doubt. You know, no doubt. I went to the Rolling Stone. You know, they had it like 135th. What do they know? You know, the best of my love, the Eagles. You could also put 1979 Dan Fogelberg's Longer in there. You know, that's a cute, that's a wonderful song. Yeah, Tammy likes that one. All right. So note to Jerry. All right. But think of it this way. In Christ, in the community of the church, we are cover songs. We perform this cover song of marriage to one another and to our community. All right? So that's what we're doing. How can I be the best version of the best of my love, the Eagles, 1974, to this community and to you, the church, so you can see a healthy, strong marriage? That's what we're looking at today. A capital, a small M marriage to the capital M marriage of Christ and his church. Think of it that way, all right? So what does it look like for a wife? What does it look like for a husband? Let's deal with wives first, since Paul is dealing with wives first. All right, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That's so not American. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to tell you, this didn't come from any culture. Actually, this is God's idea, and every culture has distorted it. Submission is not a human idea. It comes from the Trinity, because God the Son submitted himself to the Father for the eternal purposes of God. So what does this mean for a wife? When Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Does this mean some type of servile submission that she should grovel to her husband? Well, some foolish husbands might think so, but they're obviously wrong because that's not the way Jesus submitted to the Father because this idea does not come from our culture. It comes from the Lord. It's, it's, it's really a mentality. It's a, it's a heart posture to your husband that's ready to receive the Christ-like leadership of the husband. Because as we heard read, gentlemen, we are in charge of our households spiritually, materially, and environmentally. All right? And it's a woman that recognizes that before God, we're the head. We're responsible. It's on our shoulders, not on hers. And as the woman understands that, and understands that no husband is perfectly Christ-like, it's a beautiful thing, because it's a gospel thing. So what do you do, ladies, when your husband comes to you with some crazy, wacky idea? How do you handle that in being submissive to your husband as Paul is encouraging you to do so? 
Well, here's what it looks like when you, he comes to you with a crazy idea and says something like, hey, hey, honey, I got a great idea. What do you say? I leave my career. We sell the house, move to the rural south, and give our lives to the church, not the Presbyterian Reformed Church that you've come to love, but to the Anglican Church. Then we go to Pittsburgh with no guarantees of a job, no guarantees of any type of financial reward whatsoever, hoping that the Lord will be with us and walk with us. What do you think of that? Kimmy says, well, that's interesting. Could we pray about it? Could we think through all the steps that we have to take? Time to think through this together. The implications for our family and our kids. Can we talk about all the implications of that for us? Here we are. In, in gentle gospel conversation, the wife communicates her reservations, proposes alternatives, and a wise husband will listen to their wife. Because if she had said to me, the Lord's not in this, and here's why I believe that. We wouldn't have moved. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have budged. We need to be on the same page here. But, if she communicates her reservations, alternatives, and adds this. Honey, I'm not sold in this idea, but I want you to know that if you prayed this through, I'll go with you. If it doesn't go well, we're going to stand together no matter what. Because we're one flesh. I'm not going to hold this over your head as a mistake for the rest of our lives together. See, a, a gospel wife gets past sexual politics. She gets past historical grievances that they may have together. For she understands that her husband did not marry her because he wanted a, a competitor. He married her because he wanted a partner and a lover. So she's so secure in her relationship with the Lord and comfortable with Jesus himself that she isn't jealous to establish her own identity separate from her husband. For she has understood the gospel so deeply that she's given her whole life to the Lord and therefore to her husband. So young ladies, if you can't trust a man at that level, don't marry him. Okay? So, continuing, notice verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Does that mean he's equivalent with the Lord? That he is God in the home? No. Does he play God? No. What Paul is saying, that a wife's submission is not to her husband, he's to the Lord. That she sees that the Lord is in this. It's an act of worship to God, and God receives it gladly. 1 Peter 3, 4, a wife's gentle and quiet spirit is precious in God's sight. So if, if, even if your husband doesn't see how you're working for the win-win in your marriage, the Lord will see it, ladies. The Lord will see it. And God values you. And notice if you keep going down to verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, what does everything mean? Does that mean he can ask you to sin? No. 
it means that there's no area of her life that is roped off to him. You can't say to him that you have no place in this area of my life. This is, this is my life. No, to be one flesh is all-encompassing like no other relationship. Even your deepest friendships stop short of this in everything. It's a powerful display of the gospel in human form, ladies and gentlemen. People will see Jesus in a marriage like this. And they may come to faith in Jesus Christ because of a marriage like this. But I want you to go back up to verse 21 before we continue. Notice what Paul is saying. Submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. See, when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he didn't put numbers in there. Editors did that. And so verse 21 could be connected with the previous paragraph, or it could be connected with the section on husbands and wives. All right? So therefore, submitting to one another out of a love for Christ, wives, love your husbands, submit to them. Husbands, submit. It's a mutual submission that's going on here. All right? So, guys, here we go. Ephesians 5.25, what, what's, what does it look like for us? Because that's what, oh, about when a wife loves that way, that's respecting. Verse 33. Okay? Husbands, what does it look like to love our wives? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm so thankful for that word splendor. Ladies and gentlemen, when we're presented to the Lord in the end times, we'll, be, we'll have splendor all over us. Think of it that way. As Christ presents us with splendor to the Father, at the end of the age. We are called men to love our wives so much that they are presented beautiful to the Lord and to the world. Verse 28, In the same way, husbands should love their wives of their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. There, there, there is no higher calling than this, gentlemen. To love our wives as Christ loved the church is all about sacrifice, service, giving our selfishness to Christ and taking steps of sacrifice to serve her, empowered by his grace, because this is the way Christ loved the church. At the Last Supper, Jesus took up a towel, not a title. We're called to model that for our families. And so the problem is some husbands are still little boys, and quite frankly, no woman wants to be married to a teenager. That means that this man takes responsibility for his wife, for his children, for his ministry within the church, and for his community and the concerns of the community around him. He recognizes that we live in a Genesis 3 world, and it's not going to be easy. Because life is not easy. But if, if it weren't, it'd be so boring. All right? Of course it's not easy. I don't get to say this very much from the pulpit from my coaching days, but the reality is God calls us to suck it up. 
Man up. Because we're called to be warriors, providers, creators, defenders, like Jesus himself is for the church. Guys, if you want to know what kind of husband you are, you don't have to go far. Just ask her. She'll tell you. A great example of such servant leadership in the home was provided by Ray Ortland Sr. Ray Ortland Jr. is the pastor right now of Emanuel Church in Nashville. His dad founded the Haven of Rest radio program. You know, back in the day, Haven of Rest is still on Moody Radio. You can hear it at like 5.15 in the morning. Charles Morris has taken it over. It's a wonderful radio ministry. It really is. But Ray Ortland Sr., was a, was a Presbyterian pastor and worked really, really hard. He started this radio ministry back in the 50s, and he worked really hard. And he, he would, Ray, didn't, Ray Jr. didn't find this out until later in life after his dad passed away because his mom told him. Ray Sr. had a routine because he would come home, park the car in the garage, and he was absolutely exhausted, right? Everybody understands what this feels like at some times. And he shot up a prayer saying, Lord, I don't have anything. Help me to give my, give my family the best right now. I need your help. And every time he walked through the door, Ray Jr. would always say, I never noticed my dad didn't give us his best. He would walk over to Mrs. Ortland and plant a huge, passionate Christian kiss on that woman to the point the kids were absolutely embarrassed. Then he'd look at his kids and say, hey, Skip, let's wrestle. And they would go in the other room and they would wrestle as a little boy and it was awesome and what have you. But the reality is that's taking responsibility, is recognizing I don't have it within me. Lord, fill me. Help me. And, and help me to minister to this beautiful woman of mine and these kids of mine and to get the energy. After I eat dinner, i got to go back out to journey group or to a vestry meeting or to whatever church ministry you're part of. Yes. Yeah, I'm tired. I don't care. Here I go. Because real male headship is a mentality of cheerful responsibility to lead, provide, and protect your wife, your children, protect your church ministry, and, and your community that we live in. So when we give ourselves to Jesus Christ... This is how we begin to change, men. And we man up. And we're all in. We can all do this, guys. And how do we do this? Verse 25 gives us a key. It says, no one hates his own body, but we nourish and we cherish. That word nourishing is the idea of feeding her. The idea of nurturing her, caring for her. And she feels that nurture and that care. That's how we nourish. We also cherish. That also means to soften. It's the idea of valuing, warmth, caring for her. That she gets that she is held dear above all others. She is second to only Christ himself in his life. Because he doesn't compare her with others. He doesn't find fault in her. He delights in her. A husband takes responsibility that a wife's story is going somewhere positive. And being married to this guy is the opposite end of a dead-end life. It's a joy for her. So that when she 
when we're dead and gone, fellas, because we're all going to be dead and gone before they are probably. All right? She can sit in her rocking chair and say, man, that was a great ride with him. Oh, we made some mistakes, and we hurt each other, we forgave each other, but maybe that guy opened up the world to me. He nourished me, he cherished me, and we made mistakes, but we forgave together, and we walked together in Christ, grounded in Christ. He took the spiritual initiative in my family. He led us in prayer. He read the word to me and my children. He made the water of his life a delight to swim in. Because that's what Paul says. Notice what it says. He says that we, pres- verse 25, gave himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's a, it's a metaphorical baptism. That the way we love our wives is washing her over with God's word, leading her well. How's the water that she's swimming in, fellas? Is it crystal clear, blue water? Or is it more like dirty bath water? You know, thinking of that. No, we, it's my wife it delights because of I, the way I love her. And some of you guys might be thinking, well, my wife isn't the kind of woman I can delight in. Well, Uh, If your wife isn't inspired to live into the splendor that God has created her to live into by living with you year after year, it's probably not her fault. It's yours. Are you nourishing? Are you cherishing? And that's the key to love and respect. I'm going to post on the blog this week in closing um, ways you can actually love and respect in these ways. Uh, if you go to gshermanwordpress.blog.com, something like that. I can't I even remember the name of my own blog. I just know I, it's all my bookmarks. Um, uh, you, can, you can link to it from the website of Christ Church. I'll put some practical things down that Emerson Egrich, she's a Christian psychologist, wrote a great book called Love and Respect and how you can practically live these things out that the, the husband loves his wife so well and she respects him because, because he is loving her so well. And it's fascinating that guys, the more we love in this way, sh- they respect. It's just natural. And ladies, as you respect, they love. It's just a beautiful thing because we're submitting to one another out of a love for Christ. Okay? That's what it's all about. See, I read those, those, those points at the 8 o'clock service and they just glazed over. So I'll spare you guys. But I, I got a story to close us with this morning. Um, there was a couple in my teenage years at Truro Church. Uh, Dave and Wani Ringwald became childhood sweethearts in rural Kansas in the 30s. And Dave went to the Naval Academy and became a naval officer and served in World War II and got a job coming out of the Navy. Like so many people of that generation set up home in Fairfax, Virginia, and raised a family and the whole nine yards. And Dave became a pillar of Truro Church. He was a great guy. And I was in Dave's small group. We had small group ministry on Monday nights. And so, you know, I got to know Dave and his wife, Wani. 
you know. He had been dating her his whole life. He, he didn't know anybody else. And they loved one another. And I saw the way he loved her, served her, respected her. And she did the same back to him. It was a beautiful thing. And it came alive to me when I was in Pittsburgh when my brother-in-law, John, called me to say Wani had died. He said, my greatest memory of Dave and Wani Ringwald was about six months earlier when Wani's walking up to the church on this brick pathway to the front of Truro Church with her walker. And Dave has got the door for her because he's ushering. And she's walking up with a big smile on her face because she was so full of joy of the Lord. And Dave pokes my brother-in-law, John. Now, they're in their 90s, okay? You know, <laughs> they're past their prime years, needless to say. And he said, hey, you see that girl? Isn't she beautiful? That is loving your wife. And he helped her up the stairs, escorted her in the church, found her a seat in the pew. And after he had done doing the bulletin, sat down and just, they worshiped the Lord together. They did that together for 70-something years. Amazing testimony of God's grace in working it out. Now, my friends, we can't do this on our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to use us in this way. Let's go on this journey. It's not going to happen overnight necessarily, but for each and every one of us where we need to improve, the Holy Spirit will help us. And for those of us who are single and, and maybe widowed, maybe you're divorced, be imitators of God with us. Let's encourage one another in this so we will be light to this community and to one another as we speak the truth in love and submitting to one another out of a love for Jesus Christ. Because this is what he did. We're called to as well. It's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful word which reminds us that we can't do it in our own strength and you've given us the Holy Spirit to do that and that we can love one another and submit to one another out of reverence for you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would do this wonderful work and that each and every one of our couples can have a marriage worth it getting exciting about. And for our young people who are yet to be married, I pray, Lord, you would give them great wisdom in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead so they can recognize such men, such women that they could spend a lifetime together with and that each and every one of us can have a marriage worth getting excited about. And, and yet, Lord, some of us are called to singleness and that's not a second-class citizenship in the church. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our singles, that they would be a light as they imitate God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and each and every one of us gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. May we do the same in response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.